If we asked you for your definition of success, what would you say? For us, it's simple. Success is unique to each and every one of us. Welcome to The Success Revolution, the podcast that's changing the way we talk and think about success. We're The Step Up Club. I'm Alice. And I'm Fenella. And we're on a mission to get every single one of you feeling successful, no matter what that success looks like to you. In today's episode, we speak to entrepreneur Michelle Kennedy, the founder of Peanut, an app that is taking the tech and parenting worlds by storm using dating technology to connect mothers with each other. In the episode, we talk to her about the pressures of raising big venture capital funding, what it's like to be the face of your brand and how to stay resilient in the face of the inevitable online trolling that can result, and her tips for how she keeps the boundaries in her extremely busy life. Alice, what stayed with you from our conversation with Michelle? I think I changed my assumption about what it's like to start a business the way Michelle did. So we have watched Michelle grow Peanut very quickly. It's literally only been going for 18 months. She's been kind of growing it, actually, yeah, in almost exactly the same time frame that we have. But in a very different way yeah. to us. So while we have been bootstrapping our way along, Michelle went straight to funding and has all the pressures that that brings along with it. From the outside looking in before we had the conversation, I think I kind of looked at her with awe and amazement about how and why she made that happen and I think talking to her what I realized was that that was her natural path out of another app that she had been integral in starting so she unlike us was already in that world where getting kind of investment while still daunting feels much more normal whereas I think for us it felt much more normal to just side hustle and then keep investing the money that we're making into the business. And I think that was liberating in a way because, I mean, it's that comparison thing, isn't it? You look at other people and you can't believe how they did things or why they did things and how they must be somehow better or more impressive than what you're doing. And I think what it made me realise was that there's definitely more pressure with investment. Or no, not that there's more pressure, it's a different type of pressure. And it's a pressure that she's chosen. And I just found that, yeah, really fascinating. What about you? Well, I enjoyed obviously hearing her career history because it's pretty similar yeah. to mine. Obviously, we diverge when it gets to entrepreneurship, but we both started out as lawyers. And it made me think a lot about how so many of us, certainly me, and I think a lot of our listeners, certainly a lot of women who come on Step Up School, are so molded by our upbringing. And it's not necessarily a negative form of pressure, but we receive pressure from our parents and we receive pressure from our school and we receive pressure from our peers and from our university. And we get channeled so often into these paths where actually had we had free choice had we really really taken the time to define our success we probably wouldn't have ended up and actually what Michelle did and in a way I guess what I've done is to take a step back and reevaluate what that looks like we've done it in completely different ways but take a step back but then still build on what we've learned in those first jobs that might not have been right yeah yeah and what I think looking from the outside in just from um, actually not from the pressure point that you make, but from the kind of corporate entrepreneur transition, I think what you've gained from those horrible hours as lawyers, which you both talk about, is maybe a feeling of comfort in that environment that I don't think I had. So, you know, when I was working as a journalist, and definitely newspapers have their pressures, for me, the corporate environment is still extremely alien. And I think that maybe 
there's a benefit and we talk about this in the interview that you you know you don't fail if you change or move along and you are today we all are products of our journey and actually it's evident I feel like we didn't actually get on as much as I wanted to really about gender and how she's a minority in the tech world but I assume that she feels more comfortable maybe than other women would because she grew up in terms of her career in that environment as well. I think there's just loads in this interview that are really interesting. If you're thinking about starting a business, if you like us have a business that is small and sort of look enviously or in awe at women who have huge businesses or businesses that have high levels of funding, if you're interested in the tech sector and actually if you're just navigating life also as a working mother, we talk about that as well. So we really hope you're going to enjoy the interview. Today's episode is at Michelle's request recorded in support of Baby to Baby, which provides low-income children under 12 with nappies, in other words diapers, clothing and all the basic necessities that every child deserves. It's a very special and much needed charity and you can find out more on babytobaby.org. All the information is also in the show notes. Now let's get on with Michelle's interview. Michelle Kennedy is the founder and CEO of Peanut the parenting app that is revolutionizing the way that mamas meet in real life, using intelligent algorithms that match mamas by neighborhood and shared interests. Its aim is to build a community of women who happen to be mamas. Meet as mamas, connect as women, as the tagline goes. I love that tagline. Michelle developed Peanut after one too many lonely days with a newborn, while her pre-baby girl gang was still working and partying hard. Rather than wallowing in her own loneliness, Michelle used her new mum status as a starting point for developing an app that would make motherhood feel a little less isolating. Peanut was born just 18 months ago in 2017, less than two years after the birth of her son, Finley. Today, it boasts more than 500,000 users in the UK and the US and has supported over 100 million profile views, which means a lot of connected mamas. Peanut is often referred to as a dating app for child rearers, which makes sense from where Michelle is standing, because after starting her career as a lawyer, which we're going to get on to, she joined Badoo, where she rose to deputy CEO. And during her tenure at Badoo, Michelle was integral to the launch of Bumble, the world's first female skewed dating app. With Peanut, she has taken everything she's learnt, including her first-hand parenting wisdom, and is delivering tech to mothers, a community often overlooked in the app game. Thanks to Peanut's speedy success and pioneering outlook, Michelle is now widely credited as being one of the most important and influential British women in tech. Michelle, we are genuinely absolutely thrilled to have you here as a guest on the Success Revolution, and also congratulations on being pregnant a second time round. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. God, that was such a nice intro. It's all nice writing that. Yeah. We always love to wait for. Oh, God, I'm going to float. Michelle's going a bit red now. (laughs) Going to float. So we had a little chat before we started recording, and as you know, this is the Success Revolution. So we're talking about success and and how we all define success in such different ways. But actually, you and I aren't that different, because we both started out as lawyers. Can you tell us a bit about how you started off defining success and maybe a little about how that's evolved over time? Yeah, I think growing up, my mum and dad were really, really strict. So I grew up in a pretty strict lifestyle in terms of work hard, get your grades, get to university. Neither of them had been. And particularly from my mum, who was very much kind of laid out the options it was be an accountant be a lawyer or be a doctor but get a profession and be financially independent and you'll be set never rely on anyone else and 
I suppose I took it really literally. So I was like, okay, I'll do law. And that was it. I never wavered from that. I went to study at university and then it's get your training contract and then it's and go. And I didn't really ever even consider or scratch the surface of anything else. I didn't know that it existed. And it was kind of like, and that's my track now. And now I will work hard to be associate and work hard to be partner. And that will be kind of the life that I will lead. And how did you feel in the process of that? Did you feel successful while you were on your way? No, never. I definitely never felt like at the cream, if that makes sense. I could definitely see people around me who I could always see were like going to be the superstar lawyers and I definitely didn't feel like that. I actually didn't want to be like them. They were different to me. They thought differently to me. Their approach was different to mine. I trained in Newcastle at a firm called Dickinson Dees and I actually loved it because I felt like a bigger fish in a smaller pond and I felt like I got access to partners. I got access to real work and I really just enjoyed that. When I qualified, I wanted to move to London because that was success. Success was living in London. So get down to London. Yeah. And I met with a few different firms and one was this big US firm and they were going to pay the most extraordinary amount of money. I'd been earning 17 grand in Newcastle and I was going to join this firm called Heller Ehrman and they were going to pay 76000 as an NQ. And I couldn't compute. I'd be a millionaire. How would I ever spend it? You know, it was just one of those most extraordinary moments. And there were a few other firms, one of which was Mishkondorea. And I just met some of the people. They weren't going to pay 76 k unfortunately. But <laughs> I met, didn't go for the money. I didn't. I just met some of the people. And I met the girls who were at the US firm. And they frightened me. They were kind of a little bit dead behind the eyes. And I was like, that's not me. And I met some of the people at Mishcon and I felt a bit more like, okay, this is like a bigger Dickinson Dees. So I'll be a smaller fish in a bigger pond, but it will be similar. And so that was my starting point. And I started doing M&A. And again, M&A in London, a bit different to M&A in Newcastle. And all of a sudden I was just What's working. What's M&A for the non-legal? Uh, uh, mergers and acquisitions. Right, yeah. So you're just working hours and hours into the night for anyone who hasn't worked in corporate law, you can't imagine you can't. how many hours a person can work until you're a corporate lawyer. You, like go, you can go for three days and not go to bed. That's it. And or you, that would be normal. Or you can go home for like two hours to brush your teeth. Yeah. And I was living in Clapham at the time and I was like... They'll buy you a new shirt. That's it. If you don't go home <laughs> and underwear, you can go. If you get an allowance, you can go. That's it. Work. That's true, by the way. And I remember, I actually remember texting a friend once and being like, you have to bring me a toothbrush, please. Like, come to Hoban and bring me a toothbrush because I'm so rotten. Like, I can't, please. And she met me downstairs and she was like, you look really gross. Like, you should absolutely come home tonight. So did you take stock and think this is not what I want or did your evolution into away from law happen more organically without you kind of making the conscious decision it wasn't that organic I definitely knew that I didn't want to do that forever and did that scare you it scared me but I suppose in a way where I just I was going to do the same thing but somewhere else so actually I started looking at in-house roles because I was like I'm just going to be a lawyer but in business and I really 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 loved clothes and fashion and I was like I'm going to start looking and I got a role at IMG which is the modelling agency, and they were doing all these sponsorships and partnerships and London Fashion Week and blah, blah, blah. And for some reason, it's still a contract, Michelle, but in my head, I was like, it's a glamorous contract. And I went to tell my then head of department that I was going to leave to get to IMG. And he was like, 
no, that's a mistake. Stay. Let's work on it. Let's get you different work. So I stayed for a bit longer. And then... It's like breaking out with a bad boyfriend. It was. (sighs) It was very much like, don't go. But it was the right decision because eventually I was working on a client in biotech, actually, really not me either, but consistently working for them. So I got to know them and their business and their team. And I went to work in-house for them. They asked me to go and set up legal for them. That was great because it was different. I got to go to board meetings and spend time with like the decision makers of the business and learn the business. And that was success. Now I was working in a tiny office in Mayfair and that was cool. And we got free Coke and Coca-Cola, by the way, not Coke. And it felt like that's awesome. And I got to do travel and we were setting like international structures up for the company structure. And that was great. And I loved it. And then they stopped doing actually as much acquisition and it was more consolidation and I was getting a bit stir crazy because it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And one of the old partners that I'd worked for called me and he was like, listen, there's this guy and he's got a dating website. And I was like, no, I don't want to be a lawyer for a dating website. And he was like, go and meet him. It's a really interesting business. And in my head, I was like, how am I going to tell my mom? (laughs) What did your mum say? Not thrilled. At that point, not thrilled. I was like, it's kind of like Facebook, mum. She was like, what's Facebook? And it was just amazing. I met this young guy. He wasn't that much older than me. And he had a product that 52 million users were using. And I'd never heard of it called Badoo. I was like, wow, that's mad. How have I never heard of this product before? And I start playing with the product. And you're like is this and why are people using it all the time and it was an office random office in Soho with like 30 guys drinking Red Bull and coding and it was an environment I'd never seen before everyone in jeans and I was like oh I love it and so that was it that was my kind of first real jump away from more of a corporate world into I suppose this world so you went there as the in-house lawyer yeah that's how I started they never had counsel before so everyone felt a bit like they had to tell me everything because that's what you do. She's a lawyer, so tell her. And it was amazing because I got to be really nosy and ask loads of stupid questions because why would I know I'm just a lawyer? So I could ask everything about it. And um, did you have bigger ideas then? So were you satisfied when you got there? Or were you thinking ahead that you wanted, like, how did you fast forward yeah. to Peanut? No, I think my bigger ideas at that point were I'm going to head up a team. That was my ambition. I'm going to get a team because I don't want to do contracts. I want to do like the group structure stuff. So I'm going to find someone. I'm going to persuade everyone that I need to hire a lawyer to do the contracts for me. So that was the first step. So it was very gradual in terms of that kind of piece. I suppose the horizon changing and, and wanting more was spending more time with the founder of Badoo which happened by accident because I was actually very scared of him. Like, you know, it's a bit like when you're at a law firm and there's the partner. To me, he was the partner. He was the founder. And he was a very different guy. He still is a very different guy. But he he wasn't the easiest to talk to. He was quite shy. I'm not particularly shy in that way. So it was always kind of, Michelle, shut up, stop talking, you're talking too much. There was a cultural difference where I would ask questions about his family and, you know, that wasn't necessarily welcomed and so we had to get over kind of a lot of that stuff but gradually probably wore him down annoying questions and asking and just being around and it enabled me to kind of learn how he thought about things and his approach was 
it was amazing. There was never a reason that you would say no. And I think as a lawyer, you're trained to look for risk. And that's all you're thinking about is risk and avoiding risk. And he saw risk and did it anyway. And it was like, mm. minimize the risk, sure, but let's do it anyway. And he pushed me out of my comfort zone to do things that I just didn't want to do. I remember he had me hawking Soho. He had this idea about putting Wi-Fi routers and so that the Wi-Fi router would be Badoo. So the first Wi-Fi that you saw was Badoo. It's actually pretty smart. So you would go into any coffee shop and the first Wi-Fi that you saw was Badoo and it would take you to a Badoo homepage. And so I was walking around to coffee shops in Soho asking people to house our Wi-Fi routers and people were like, no. And, you know, I really desperately, desperately didn't want to do it. And in my head, I'm like, but I'm a lawyer. And we did it. We got some people to do it. But the point of the matter was, at that point, I was like, okay, so nothing can be more embarrassing than that. So now I feel like I can try. How do you feel as a founder yourself now? What does success look like for you today? I think there are, like, the lofty things that I see because I feel like I would like to do it it would be an achievement you know do I want to get the exit of course that would be a massive achievement or you know even better still do I want to get the IPO of course you know I want to be Katrina Lake standing up at the stock exchange yeah and there are moments of that where I'm like yes that's what I want to do and I want Finn to be at the stock exchange with me and the new baby at the stock exchange with me and like ringing the bell and then there are other moments where I'm like that's not it because then what what comes after that and it's something a little bit more around sounds really corny but it is really important like getting up and feeling really excited to come into my office and be with my team I think for the longest time particularly as a lawyer actually the dread on a Sunday night was so extraordinary where I would feel so sick I don't want to say it too much, but I mean, there really would be on a Monday morning people hiding around corners in the library and you'd come around the corner to like find someone quiet to cry and there'd be somebody else already crying in that corner. You'd have to go find a different <laughs> it, it was quite, it could, it, not everywhere and not all the time, but it could be extreme. That's it. And there were just those moments of, I laugh about it with my husband because he's a lawyer, but I laugh about it where you would just think, I wish I could just have a tiny accident. Not bad enough that it will be really permanent, but just enough that I could have a couple of weeks off and not feel guilty about it. Weird. Or I really want to be a barista. That was my like obsession. I'll be a great barista. I get to smile at people all day. I like the smell of coffee. No stress. No stress. And that was like my get out of jail free. I'm going to go and work in... Do you think there's a big thread about the new and the exciting in your definition of success? Because what I keep hearing is you were thinking about safety, but actually what it was was you didn't want to keep doing the same contracts and you didn't want to keep doing the same Yeah. And actually each time it's something shiny and something exciting with something new. Definitely. Definitely. I don't like it when I'm doing more of the same, for sure. I think also because I find it difficult to see through it. The more I'm doing the same, the less able I am to kind of see, okay, but now I could do this versus the moment I start doing something new, I can see 15 things that I could do that are new. So yeah, there is an element of that. Actually worries me and scares me a little bit because there's an element of like complacency in the, okay, I'm doing this, I can do this. And then you forget to kind of check yourself and are you actually doing it well though? Or are you just doing it? So there is definitely that element. And also, I don't know, I used to have this thing, I probably get this from my mum, she'll kill me for saying that, but where it was like, I had to have like a run to the woods 
get out of jail free, like escape. So I would always have like a little pot of money and I would always have like the, but I can go and do this and life will be free and easy and there won't be that kind of stress and it won't feel like it's on top of me. Whether that was barista or whatever it was, I need that kind of run to the woods. Something about getting older, I feel less like I need the run for the woods. Which is impressive when you have your own business. Yeah. Because there's a different pressure and a different expectation, I think. I mean, you know, we've got our own business and we know that you pour so much of yourself in there. Yeah. And clearly you've got high expectations and, and aspirations for yourself as well. How do you marry those two kind of pressures? It's deeply personal when it's your business, right? So someone sent a message overnight to Peanut and they basically said, does anyone check this app? It's buggy. I mean, okay, <laughs> half a million people using the app. Yes, people check it. But it was so personal. I woke up this morning and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that. It's really upset me. And it's so stupid and it's so minor and in the grand scheme of things. But that was the thing that has bothered me all morning. I could get a hundred great emails, but the one that's the niggly will stick with me. And so that kind of feeling of it being so personal and you've pulled everything into it, that is quite hard to measure and, and to keep a check on. Being completely frank and honest, when we launched and the year of 2017 is like a complete blur for me. It's like a newborn. I didn't sleep. I lost ridiculous amounts of weight. I was so stressed and anxious and completely consumed by peanut. I couldn't have a conversation with someone because I was always thinking about it. I don't sleep brilliantly anyway, but the insomnia was at an all-time high. And there were things that happened that only now I can look back and I'd be like, oh my God, I didn't even enjoy that. And I didn't enjoy it because there was so much of my own pressure. And so 2018, I think, became a little bit more of a, okay, I can't continue at that pace because actually the business will fail. It's not sustainable. And, I, and you'll fail. And I'll fail. And it'll be a massive disservice to the team who work so hard and and the women who use peanuts. So I, I definitely made a conscious decision to try and be better, eat better, sleep better, put the phone down, don't work on a weekend to the same extent, that kind of stuff. The pace changes though, like the pace of peanut changed. Peanut didn't keep going at the same rate because I'm not doing everything at the same rate. And so I suppose I had to make peace with that element to be like, okay, I can still be successful and not go a million miles an hour and feel like, absolute crap at the end of the week I'm not even at the end of the week at the end of the month at the end of the year whatever it was I just have to be a bit more reasonable about what that means and that means I'm not going to hand make Finley's birthday cards like invites or whatever and yeah I'm gonna buy everything in for Christmas <laughs> you know that kind of thing and like being a bit more reasonable about stuff so what, other than Christmas, which obviously tips everybody over, <laughs> uh, what are the rules? Because I think that's the biggest issue in my mind for people who are really ambitious, right? It's how do I marry that ambition with the way that I want to live my life yeah. and the way that I need, that I have other responsibilities. It's just a massive issue and it's a bigger issue for women than men because we do more emotional labour and we do more labour in the home anyway. Even in balanced couples, there's just a natural amount of work that falls in general to most women so do you have specific rules around that because it's one thing to say okay well I'm going to not push yeah. it's another thing to know what that looks like 
So the rules were, and this was my, my husband, because he was firstly probably feeling a bit neglected, but also concerned. The rules were nine o'clock, the phone had to go away. We do also do that. Yeah, and that was really hard because so much of my business was in the US and they're really just coming to life. And that's why, you know, I was never really stopping. And I'd wake up at 2 a.m. to check like what was going on because that was their end of day. So I'm like, okay, I'll check. And then I'm waking up at 5 a.m. to check like what's happening with the UK and it was all getting a bit much. So the phone has to go away, particularly if you're going to wake up at 2, you put the phone away at 9. Do you still wake up at 2? No, it's got better because actually then I got into a better habit of, okay, if I know that I'm going to work effectively, it's just about working smarter, I think. And about putting boundaries, boundaries. around yourself and your own time. Definitely. And actually checking yourself all of a sudden, you know, you realise that I actually haven't listened to anything you've just said because I've been reading emails or worse than that. I've been thinking about the response to the email, but looking you in the eye and not registering anything of what you've just said to me. And it was a real strain. So definitely having like boundaries just breaks a habit and then it becomes more natural so on a Saturday I'll check my work in the morning but I leave my phone upstairs I don't take it with me until then you know five o'clock and I have to do it like I, I actually have to do it to see Finn and be present and like actually you know spend time with him where he's not looking at me through the back of my phone and it's so much healthier I think there's also an element of takes the personal away a little bit more because then it's not all on me, all about me. A bit narcissistic, I think I was, when it first launched because it was so, this is me. Actually, Peanut is a bit more than that. You, I mean, you have really tied yourself into the brand. So yeah. you do a lot of personal yeah. promotion. Mm, yeah. Your face is out there a lot. Yeah. Is that intentional? I don't know if it was intentional as much as the story was deeply personal. Like, it was absolutely real that I had been working in dating and none of my girlfriends had kids and I was like, I'm just going to take it and apply it to a different market. And so I suppose that story was absolutely real and the best way I knew how to explain what we were doing. I think that following from that, what happens is I felt like, well, I've got a platform to say things that maybe other people aren't saying or haven't got a platform to say so I'm going to do it for better or worse on a suppose a slightly more business level I think that it's no longer enough to have anonymous companies like I think that people want to hear the full story with Bumble absolutely they wanted to hear about Whitney and her story and her evolution and how that tied into her experiences and how that tied into a wider vision having been at Badoo for so long where None of that was accessible. Andre was extremely private. He wouldn't talk about anything to do with him and his involvement from a personal basis in the brand. You can see the two and how important they are. And if you think about some of the best loved brands that you talk about today, you know who's behind it, or at least you want to, and you have an attachment and you, you have a desire to know more. So there was certainly an element where I was like, well, if people want to know more, I'm going to tell them more because it's important to share the brand message. It became very much about the Michelle show of like, and let me tell you more. And it's difficult. I mean, we, yeah, yeah it's something that we, we've made a conscious decision. I mean, I want I mean, with, with Instagram, there's just an endless space to tell as much as you want. And we, from the very start, made a conscious decision that that didn't feel like it suited us as people and we didn't feel comfortable. It's probably affected 
the growth of our business and we talk about it like should we be sharing more okay we're going to commit to doing stories every day this week and it just never really happens yeah that's How, so awful though but then like you said I mean it's not necessarily awful to feel like it's a commitment though like okay we're going to do it I, no, I think that's now a we've made a decision so now we don't feel that yeah. pressure because we've made that decision and yeah. we're at peace with that decision yeah. it sounds like you have gone from one extreme to somewhere how did that journey take place was there a trigger for that change and how do you feel as a result of making that or putting that boundary in place on the kind of like instagram social media side of life i was so late to the party i remember whitney she was such a young girl when i met her and she was considerably cooler than me as a result but she was kind of hey are you using instagram and i was like I mean, I use it for the filters. And she was like, but then what do you do? And I'm like, well, I save it in my camera roll. You know, I wasn't part of the kind of social element of that. And then most definitely it was kind of her influence that got me into it where she would be like, okay, so I'm doing, she would tag me in something or whatever. I'd be like, what are you doing? What's that? So I was definitely slow and late in that respect. And it was really just very occasional and very sporadic and probably quite boring and baby spam. I mean, that was what it was. And then obviously with the launch of Peanut, it became a way to amplify what we were doing at Peanut. If there was anything we were doing at Peanut, I was going to talk about it on my Instagram because why wouldn't I? That was the best opportunity I had to kind of talk about what we were doing. So from that perspective, I suppose it just became like a echo. Whatever we were doing for Peanut, I would echo it on my personal account. And I never really thought anything more of it. I mean, I'm not terribly interesting. I haven't really got a terribly interesting life so there wasn't really anything terribly interesting to say about my personal life it was just talking about my business weirdly last year in I don't know when it was summer it was summer and I was just about to go away with Finn and my husband for holiday and I we'd gone away and we got there and I was tagged in a post okay I mean fine I had a look at it and it was something really aggressive about how much the outfit I was wearing cost. And I was like, what? Well, firstly, like, you don't know me. You don't know anything about me. You don't know how I got that outfit. You don't know what I worked to get that outfit. That You know nothing about me. And secondly, why do you care? I'm nobody to you. I'm genuinely nobody to you. And that was my first kind of eye-opening of like, wow, that feels weird. But you become public property. Yeah. I think that's that's the point. And even if it's not intentional, I think there's something, and kind of like what you said before, that it's really bad, that like if you're starting a business, I, suppose, I assume a tech business even more, so or any type of business that has a personal angle, and you're using Instagram and you buy into it, and even we are so protective of ourselves and our families and stuff, you become public property and people can say whatever they want about you. And that's, I think, something that definitely affects sometimes my feeling of success. Because if someone makes a pointed comment about you and it's a public comment, even if it's totally separate from your work, suddenly, you know, you're in a different space and you've made that decision to be there. I don't know. I still find it very complicated. It's completely distracting. I don't know that person who made that comment I shouldn't care 
it's not relevant to my life or my business, but it hurt. Yeah. And incredibly frustrating because actually exactly. the amount of you're grown, it's not like you're you're not a social media so you have you influence that. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. No, no, no. Yeah. But you're not. You have grown. One of the things we wanted to talk about was the investment. You know, yeah. you haven't gone down the route of oh, I've got an idea, I'm going to bootstrap it. Yeah. Let me try it out on a few friends. You've gone and really raised a lot of investment. Yeah. And you've gone and you've gone big. Go big or go and, home. And then for someone to focus on that seems. I mean, it's reductive. Yeah, yeah, it's quite reductive and it's exactly that. I don't pretend to be anything else. That's why I said I'm not terribly interesting. So there is no reason that anyone would have any interest in that part of my life. What a weird thing. It was such a strange thing, but it hurt and it was distracting and all those other things. I suppose that my resolution from it was, firstly, it's not important. You like it, you like it. You don't, you don't, and that's fine. And secondly... That is my business. Like, my business life is my business life. And I will give my business life everything I've got when I'm in business mind. And if I want to share something silly or personal or whatever, I'm going to do it. But know that that's nothing to do with my business. That's my personal life. That's Michelle. And there will, of course, be some kind of intersection. But I'm not going to let one pull the other apart. But it is a confusing like time and it's definitely a confusing element. And, you know, so many of my friends have done this, like I'm switching off for three months. I'm like doing a detox. And I'm like, wow, I kind of feel it's sad that it comes to that. That saddens me. I feel sad that I can't do that. Yeah. Like it frustrates me that we can't, even when we say that over Christmas, we're going to, and we were really good actually this year, we didn't post anything. And it was a relief in a sense. There's something about just not having that connection to your phone and that kind of Instagram link that kind of hooks you into your brand and that conversation, that piece around knowing your brand. I think what I'm really interested as we kind of know that we're coming to the end is to come back a bit and talk again about the big business. Yeah. Because obviously I think that ties in with the idea of exciting, of big, of, of you know, IPO and launch and all those things. But we know that lots of women who listen to the podcast, that's not how they launch their business or how they would think about approaching their career. They might not go for CEO or they might not go for, you know, as we haven't. Was that always part of the success? And do you feel the responsibility of that on your shoulders? So what I would say is, coming from Badu and the world that we were in, and that was an extremely successful company that was making a lot of money and it was extremely profitable and and building Bumble where that was funded by Badu. My understanding of kind of building a business and venture capital was naive and I will always be completely honest about it. I had been running a company which was PE backed and was making a lot of money and had a very, very small PE investor in Russia. It was a very, very different scenario to, okay, now I'm going to start a company, I'm going to go out and get seed funding. And I very naively thought that the only way to raise money was to go and speak to VCs. I didn't know another way because that was kind of a world that I'd been a little bit submerged in and I thought that's how it went. So I literally pulled together a deck, role reversal, pitched it to Whitney. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. What do you think? And she was like, I think it's great. Let me introduce you to someone who reached out to me. And that was the start of it. And so it kind of started accidentally in that way. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm having calls with NEA. And it's amazing. I don't take any of it back apart from the fact that I probably artificially started a bit soon with a VC investor. 
And that comes with pros and cons, right? And the cons are, I've got a lot of big names on my cap table and it's quite terrifying. And the pros are, I've got a lot of big names on my cap table and therefore doors open because of it. So there's a pro and con to it. I did fund the initial start myself while we were closing the round. But what I didn't do is that kind of interim step of friends and family. Like, let me go and do like a very small friends and family round and, and do, as you say, do it on a smaller scale and kind of build it gradually. It was, I'm building it and I'm launching it and it's a launch. Part of that was vanity because I wanted to know that it wasn't fluke. What I'd done at Badoo and what I'd been part of at Bumble wasn't fluke, that I could do it myself all myself and so that was something that I had to prove to myself yes like you're good enough yes you were part of it it's okay like don't worry about it so because of that I think I probably went in faster and harder than a I would again if I were doing it again I've learned so much I would do it slightly differently but b than probably others have or would because I think you know, where you come from informs so much of where you go. And that really did have such a huge impact. Now that you've done it, you've got the funding and you've launched it, have you just moved the goalposts? Yeah, there's always the next. Do your Series A, grow the team, go into other markets. But there isn't always. I mean, there isn't always. It doesn't have to be like that. I don't know. I suppose that, again, once you're on a path, you are on a certain path, right? we're not revenue generative. So we are free to use, free to join. And so my path is definitely, I am always fundraising. Like that's the mentality, well, that's what I'm meant to have. The mentality I'm meant to have is you're always fundraising until you make your own money and then you don't need it unless you want to scale rapidly. From that perspective, I suppose that is the path we're on. And again, not everyone will be on that path. Some people will be able to fully bootstrap because they'll make and they'll reinvest. And so it is a very specific route and it's really, really hard. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's challenging every day. That's I suppose the best just I thinking say. about it, from, we are bootstrapping, yeah. which is challenging in a different way. And so we, when we were talking about you know, our podcast today and we were thinking about how you'd started and how it was different to us, and it almost seems quite alien and kind of scary and awe-inspiring to us, that from hearing you speak about it, it was almost your norm. And we've done it in our norm. That's exactly right. And once you're on the path you're on, you've got ups and downs and stresses and pressures. And actually, they're just moved across to a different path, depending on which path you're on. It's exactly that. And it's like a different discipline, depending where you're going in the path that you're on. I've got an investor meeting on Thursday. It's the first of the year. It's really important to me that I map out 2019. And, you know, there is a level of pressure that comes with that where it's like god it's like pitching but these guys yeah. are already in yeah. but I feel like I'm pitching all over again you know there's like a constant level of feeling like that there is a push to a path and when you're on the path you kind of you're on a treadmill that's it and you you've got to commit <laughs> yeah and you've got to commit to it and you've got to go all in and I often I mean I wake up in sweats and I have that terrible moment of and we have to turn the lights off next week and the money's gone and everything's gone and I can't, like, there's nothing else and we're turning the lights off and all I ever say to my husband is, can we just talk about it again? What will happen if that happens? Like, what's the consequence of that playing out? Can we just play it out again? And he's <laughs> less amenable to it now. He used to be a bit more, like, happy to play it out. Now do, a bit bored. Do you role play it? Yeah, but I'm always like, can we just talk about it again? What will happen? And he's, 
very much like what will happen is no one will die and people will say well done her for having a go and someone somewhere might want to pick up the assets maybe they won't your team will move on to other things you'll lick your wounds for a few months and you'll go and do something else and I'm like okay I suppose that's my run to the woods Mm. I suppose actually saying I don't have it maybe I do and that's it which is it won't be the end of the world but it feels like it will be so you just got to go all in go big or go home so take risk do something exciting What's put yourself out of your comfort zone? What's the worst? Yeah, thing? what's the worst? And that's the Good other advice. thing. Because I constantly am in that, oh my God, everyone will say I failed. Rich will always say to me, who's going to say you failed? Why but would that be yourself? the thing? Yeah, I will think I failed. But you know, that's part of it, I think. You don't look back at your law, Michelle, and say I failed. You say that was part of who I am. Today. Yeah. Exactly that. I think there's a kind of comfort in that, that you can look back and say, well, I evolved. Exactly that. And I suppose that kind of safety net thing of my mum, my mum's wise words in my ear from the age of 14, what's the very, very worst? I'll go back and be a lawyer. Or a barista. Or a barista. (laughs) You still do that. My mum says that to me all the time. Don't worry, just tell me a lawyer. That's, yeah, no. that's exactly, yeah. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, no, there's nothing wrong with lawyers. My husband's on. But that's always my kind of like, I can go back and be a lawyer, okay? So, you know, I'm going to give it what I can give it. There are people out there who have tried and failed and you don't even think about the failure. Mm. You only ever remember, like, them trying or that was cool that they did that or someone's fashion line closing down, but you remember that you loved the clothes. Like, you don't remember the other stuff, so... I just they're generally not more concerned about themselves than they are about yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I just try and keep that front of mind. But, of course, you know you also have that little voice in your head where it's like you're not with Finn today or you're traveling for a week or whatever it is better make it count better make it worth it better not let anyone down so there is that as well and it's, I suppose we all have that a bit whatever it's saying at that specific time the voice oh well it's been eye-opening and brilliant and just fascinating really to hear we've been peanut voyeurs for a long time so it's really great to meet you and thank, thank you so you. much for your time and good luck with the pregnancy thanks thank you thank you you, michelle if you enjoyed the podcast and it sparked some thoughts about your success please don't forget to leave us a review wherever you're listening again all the information is in the show notes don't forget to head to stepupclub.co to find out more about how step up school could help you achieve your career dreams see you next week same time same place we've got plenty of incredible women each with her own definition of success up our sleeves